You know, um, I got to say, I love when God does stuff and the Holy Spirit arranges things. Um, Jason, when he chose that song, Majesty, had no idea that what I was going to talk on, because I didn't even really know for sure what I was going to talk on as far as the main emphasis, Uh, but what I felt like the Lord put upon my heart is to speak about authority, his authority, his kingdom authority, his majestic authority, you know, so there's like no better song that Jason could have ended with than that, but you know, that's just one of those God things that happens. And so I wanted to look at authority today is because it's really where we're at in Scripture. We will be in Matthew chapter 16 today, beginning in verse 5. But if you think about the whole concept of authority, if you think about what life would be like if there were no authority, well, just imagine uh, a bunch of two-year-olds in a room with too few toys and no supervision and no rules. <laughs> I mean, if you don't have authority, then there's chaos, there's anarchy, there's, you know, people get hurt. And what ultimately happens is that the people who are the most, most ruthless, the strongest, maybe physically, but who have the least amount of concern for others, they will rise to the top and they will rule by oppression. And that's what happens in the world. And that's why it's been said that, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? And therefore, we're all sort of fearful when it comes to this whole thing of authority and submission. I mean, it's like if I'm going to submit, then I better make sure that that authority I'm submitting to knows what they're doing, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. Otherwise, I am submitting myself to somebody that could hurt me or hurt others, And, of course, that's happened. Just look at, uh, you know, Germany in the 30s, uh, late 30s with Adolf Hitler and and the Third Reich. And the the, the danger of giving giving one's submission to an authority of a despot, a dictator, a ruthless, evil man, you see? That's what can happen. But when we come to the kingdom of God, what we're looking at is we're looking at Jesus Christ— The king, the Lord, the creator, the one who gave his life to save the likes of us, sinful people. People that honestly have caused God a lot of problems over the years. (laughs) And yet Jesus shows what true authority is by laying his life down for those whom he loves. For those whom he rules, you see. And we look at our government today and, you know... We'll not have a perfect government until Jesus comes again to reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem, which he will do, which is our ultimate hope. Amen? But in the meantime, God does ordain governments because we have to have government. It's the only way to control the evil and wickedness of man. The rebellion of man has to come under authority in order for there to be any sort of order in a community, in a culture, in a civilization. And the same is true in the church. There is an authority structure of the church, and Jesus set that up. Jesus is the head. He's the king. But he also sets up an authority structure in the church, and we're going to look at that today, because you have to be able to trust in the authority that's there if you're going to submit to it, and clearly God wants us to submit to his authority. Amen? So we're going to look at that today. And the situation was, you know, there was this altercation between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees who demanded that Jesus produce a sign in the heavens to prove that he was the Christ, you know. And and of course he said, look, you know, I'm not going to give you a sign. I'm not going to cater this to this. The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah as he was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. So the Son of Man will be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth, in Hades. And then I will be raised up, you see. Uh, and that's going to be your sign. And so they left that side of the Sea of Galilee and they crossed over. And that's where we pick it up in verse 5 of chapter 16. Now, when the disciples had come to the other side, 
They had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have not taken bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. Do you not understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand and I do not speak to you concerning bread? But to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. you got to see some humor in all this, right? I mean, I get a lot of encouragement from these guys, okay? Because they were so often not getting it, Okay? You know, don't beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees. I told you, Peter, you should have brought the bread. It's, it's your fault. You didn't bring the bread, you know. That's what he's talking about. We forgot bread, you know. And, and you know, and so I just, I love these guys because they're so human, right? And Jesus is just like, are you kidding? I'm running out of time here. You still don't get it? Please help me, you know. Um, but anyway, so... What was happening here is that, first off, I think that they, you know, they were feeling a little bit guilty like they forgot something. You know, how many times do we, like, go out the door and we say, oh, no, I should have done this, or I should have done that, or I forgot this, or I forgot to make that call, or, you know, and, and we're beating ourselves up over these things, because we know that we're not all that we should be. We, we know that we miss the mark in many ways, right? All of us do. You know, and, and I think so many times we're, we are harder on ourselves in that regard than the Lord ever is, okay? Because the Bible tells us that if we are in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, amen? There, there is an accuser, and his name is Satan, Okay? He, he ever lives to accuse the brethren before God, and he accuses us before ourselves, and he accuses others before us. But Jesus, in him, there's no condemnation. And I love this because it's just like, look, you guys, it's not about bread. It's not a big deal. Don't you remember? It's like, I took five loaves, and we fed 5,000. I took seven loaves, we fed 4,000. You know, that's not, bread is not the issue here. We can make bread. <laughs> And yet, how often are we so upset? Oh, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. It's like, well, do you know the Lord? Is he your provider? Can you pray? Do you lean on him? You know? Yeah, you might go through some hard times, but you know what? Has he failed you in the past? It's like, and so, and so this idea of, number one, just trusting God. He's in control. And Jesus wasn't getting on them because they forgot bread. And that was the point. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. The whole issue here is that you need to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, to this point, we have seen that leaven, whenever it's used in the Scripture, is speaking of evil. It's speaking of corruption. And we see that it spreads and it causes problems. And he just dealt with the this, this Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he's saying, look... It's, you got to be aware of what these guys are teaching. It's their doctrine. Because it's invasive. It's insidious. It will ruin you. And that's what he was talking about. And so, you know, um, now we got to look at what this teaching was. For the Pharisees, their basic problem was they were adding to the word of God. They were like saying the word is not sufficient in and of itself. We need to explain it, and we're the guys to explain it to you. And by the way, not only do you have to keep the word, but you have to keep our traditions and our opinions. Uh, and if you don't, then you're going to hear about it from us, okay? Their problem was legalism. And legalism has been the blight of the church ever since, okay? Okay? 
This idea that God and his word is not sufficient, we need to add to it our list of do's and don'ts. Jesus says, beware of that leaven. That's a leaven. It's bad. You know, God is totally able to give us everything that we need through his word and through the Holy Spirit. Period. We just exist here as a church to help you understand what God has already said in his word. Okay? We don't add to the word. Remember, there's a warning in Revelation that says, whoever adds to the word will be added to him the plagues of Revelation. Thank you very much. I would rather avoid that. Amen? (laughs) So that was the problem with the Pharisees. The Sadducees, on the other hand, they just didn't believe. They didn't believe in uh, an eternal spirit of man. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Their problem was unbelief. They were the materialists of the day. You know, if they couldn't see it, feel it, touch it, well, they didn't believe it. And so what they did was they denied the power of God, the miraculous power of God. They didn't even factor that into the, the equation, you see. And Jesus would, would tell them when they tried to, like, trap Jesus with this big involved story about a guy that, a woman, you know, a woman that had seven husbands and all and, and, and Jesus said, look, the problem is you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. That's your problem. And it, there again, this has been a blight in the church. We see people that deny the virgin birth. They deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. They deny the inerrancy of the word of God. They bring the leaven of unbelief. It's been that way in our seminaries, many of the seminaries. Now, you know, seminaries are not bad in and of themselves, but when you have unbelief that's being propagated, that's a problem. Better to just have somebody that's never been to a seminary that's filled with the Holy Spirit that teaches the Word of God, (laughs) they're going to be more mightily used of God, you see. So, So that's the other thing. We have to be aware of the materialism, the, the unbelief, that sort of thing that has, again, infiltrated the church and been 11 to destroy and undermine people's faith in the simple truth of the word of God and, a, and the simple truth that God loves you and he can do all things. Amen? So, beware, Jesus said. Beware, beware, beware. Because it is 11. And either you got the people that just want to control others by adding more stuff to the mix. And, you know, you have to look to them because they're the authority. You know, in the case of the Pharisees, you just get people that just pretty much deny any power of the word of God or even the truth of God. Or they sit in judgment and say, well, this is inspired. You know, there are those that just say, if it's, if it's not in red, it, it doesn't mean anything. So let's throw out the rest of the Bible. Let's throw out the Apostle Paul. Let's only take the words of Jesus. And those are the words that we think and we say are the actual ones that are Scripture. You have people like that. And the bottom line is they are undermining the power and the authority of the Word of God. Sadducees. That's what they are. And they are so sad, you see? (laughs) Because they don't believe in God and His power and the miraculous. All right, I don't want to harp on that. Let's move on. Verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, or that I the Son of Man am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, recently we got to go to Israel. We went up to uh, Caesarea Caesarea Philippi. And it's up in northern Israel at the base of Mount Hermon. And and there are, are sort of the headwaters of the Jordan River. Beautiful area. And it had been a place where uh, they had worshipped the god Pan. And, and, you know, so there's a lot of Gentiles in that area. But it was while they were there 
that Jesus had his disciples there with him. And he, and he said, so, you know, who do men say that I am? Now, he knew that they had the ear and, and they were listening. They were listening to what the, the people were saying about Jesus, what all of the scuttlebutt was, you know, about who Jesus was. And so they reported, well, you know, there's, there's some that say that you're John the Baptist, uh, raised from the dead. There's others that are saying that you're one of the prophets of old, like Elijah. You know, come back. Um, like, and so, or Jeremiah, you know, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. And the one thing about this is that you realize that the people understood that there was something very different about Jesus, you know? He was not your ordinary rabbi. No way. They recognize that there's something supernatural about him, and, and that's why they would say, well, you know, maybe he is, maybe John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's who he is. Or one of these other prophets. But it is interesting what conclusions that they were coming to about who they thought Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth was. You know, think about it. There's, it, it. What a person thinks about Jesus, who a person thinks Jesus is, is a really good question. It's a very telling question of where they're at, faith-wise, you see. And there's a lot of different people that think a lot of different things about Jesus. There are people that think that he was you know, a prophet in a line of prophets. There are others that think that he was uh, the God-man for his age. But there are others, you know, other gurus and so forth. There are people that think he was just an imposter. Uh, there, there are people that think that he was Michael the archangel. There are people that think that he was the spirit brother of Lucifer. There's all kinds of things that people have as far as their uh, belief in who Jesus was. So this is a very important question. Who do you think Jesus is? Who is he to you? It's a very important question. And that's why Jesus asked it, and he asked it of his disciples. You know, who do people say that, that I am? And then he said, now who do you say that I am? And I wonder... You know, I wonder how, how long nobody said anything. You know, have you ever had that experience where you ask a question, hey, what do you guys think of this? And, you know, all you hear are the crickets, you know? Have you ever had that experience? I wonder if it was like that. But finally, Peter broke the silence. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, for us, you know, we've, you know, we've been around church for any length of time. You know, those words have sort of lost their impact to some degree. I mean, we've heard it before. But you've got to understand that to these Jews that were there, that were assessing who this guy was, I mean, they, they, were, they were watching, they were hearing what the religious people were saying, they were hearing what the crowds were saying. But these followers of Jesus, these who had left their homes, had gone all the way to Caesarea Philippi to, to, to follow this guy. You know, what was their hope pinned on? They were Jews. And that meant that every dream, every hope in the Jewish mind was centered on Messiah. Understand that from the time of, of Jeremiah and King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the Jews had been a nation that, were, that was governed by the authority of Gentiles. They were not free to do what they wanted. They longed for the glory days of King David when they were a sovereign nation, when, when the nation's around them were submitted to them. They hated the Roman occupation, which was the current manifestation of Gentile rule. But they had been in this position for 
you know, like well over 500 years. So they were hoping for Messiah, the Christ. So when Peter says, you are it, you're the Christ, that was like huge. It was huge. It would, it would be one of those things like when 9-11 happened, right? I mean, we all remember where we were when we saw those planes crashing through the World Trade Center, if you're old enough to remember that. You never forget that, right? That's what this was like to these guys. The, the, the revelation that this was the long-awaited desire of the Jews, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the One who is going to sit on the throne of David and bring peace and righteousness and, and, a, and, a, and authority such as they had not seen since the glory days of Israel, you know. So, it was a big, big deal. <laughs> and... Um, You know, along with that were the promises of Isaiah. We think about it as we near Christmas season. You know, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of the government and peace, there will be no end. That's who is standing before them, you see. So, and that's who's standing before us here today. That's what he said. Or two or, uh, or more of you are gathered together in my name, I am there in your midst. We have the privilege of sitting before the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, every single Sunday we get together. And if you get together, two or more of you in a home for a Bible study, guess what? He's there. Folks, never let us take for granted the power of that. The Christ, the the majestic Lord, the one who desires to rule in our hearts and in our lives, who's in control of every situation, even the coronavirus. Amen? He's in control. So, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus indicated that this was nothing less than a supernatural revelation. Peter, you could not have come to this understanding apart from the revelation of my Father in heaven. This is a divine and a personal revelation that I, Jesus, am the Christ. And you are blessed, see? Understand, if Peter wasn't blessed simply because he confessed this, Peter was blessed because he'd already received the divine revelation from God, the Father. And now he's just confessing that which he had already come to understand by this divine revelation, you see. That's what made him blessed, was that God the Father would reveal to him the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the the Son of the living God. Folks, if you have come to that conclusion, it's only, it's not by flesh and blood. It's not by the willpower of man. It's not because some preacher like me is hollering at you, okay? It's because God himself has revealed to you in your heart, in your spirit, that Jesus is the Christ, He's the son of God. He's the one who is dead, who's alive again. He's going to be the one who is the Messiah and your Lord forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen? And if that has happened to you, it's a supernatural revelation. It's the indication that God has revealed that to you. Just like with Peter. And you're blessed. 
Have you ever thought, why should I be blessed to believe in Jesus? I mean, there's a lot of people that don't. It's sad. We would love to see them come to that same faith that God has revealed to us, that God has given us as a gift. Why should I have that? I didn't deserve that. Why should I be blessed into receiving that divine personal revelation? Why should you be blessed in that way? What did you do to deserve it? You see, it's all of grace. But we are blessed because we have received God's revelation about his son. Because we have then said, okay, Lord, come into my life. I want you to be my my Lord, my King, my Savior. What a blessing. And Jesus was saying, you know, you are blessed, Simon. And then he said, and I also say to you that you are Peter... On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. These words have created much controversy. (laughs) Okay. As people have wrestled to try to figure out what in the world is Jesus saying here. And you got the Catholics and they interpret it one way. And the Protestants interpret it another way. And, uh, and our goal here is not to win an argument. Our goal is to seek to try to understand what Jesus meant. And then to apply it to our own lives. It's always our goal. So... What did Jesus mean by this? What was he saying? And there's some interesting plays on words here because, you know, Jesus says, you are Peter. Well, well, who gave them the name Peter anyway? Well, Jesus did, right? You recall that Andrew got his brother Simon, brought him to Jesus, and this is in John 1.42, and when Jesus looked at He said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Cephas is Aramaic. Peter is Greek. They both mean a stone. Now, Simon was anything but a stone at that point, okay? (laughs) He was impulsive. You know, he always put himself first over the other disciples. He Spoke before he thought. <laughs> you know, he was very passionate. Honestly, I, I'm, I'm convinced he meant well. But, you know, he made a lot of errors too. We can relate to him. I, I get a lot of encouragement from Simon. <laughs> but when Jesus called him Peter, you're, you will be Peter. You will be called Peter. A stone. You know, Jesus saw in him what he would make Simon to be. See? And I love that about the Lord. I love love that the Lord sees us not what we are right now, but what he will make us. See? And, And so, Jesus gave him that name. And now he says, you know, you are Peter. A stone. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, what is he saying there? Is he saying that he's going to build his church on Peter? Peter's the foundation? That's what the Catholics have said, okay? And then they say, well, Peter was... The one that Jesus built his church upon, he was the first pope, and therefore there is a succession of popes, and every, every pope thereafter has this same, you know, authority. Um, the problem with that is that in just a few verses, Jesus is going to turn to Peter and say, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> so, if Peter was the foundation of the church, it was on a really shaky foundation, okay? 
<laughs> Not to mention that he's still going to deny the Lord three times. And, you know. uh, but what, what, what is he saying here? Well, so, okay, so he's saying you are Peter, a stone... But he says, on this rock, it's a different word in the Greek. It's not Peter, Petros, which is Peter's name. But it's Petra, which is a bedrock, a large rock. And Jesus says, on this large rock, I will build my church, you see. I think it's a play on words. He's saying, you're, you're, a little, you're like a stone off the large rock, okay? The fact that you are confessing me... As Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, it shows that you're part of the rock, okay? But I am the rock, you see. If, if Jesus meant to say, uh, you are Peter, and on Peter I'm going to build my church, and he could have just as easily said, you are Peter, and on you I will build my church. But that's not what he said. He said, you're Peter, and on this rock, this Petra, this bedrock, this foundation rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail, gates of Hades won't prevail against it. Okay? Now, all you got to do is just look through the scripture and see that the rock is a metaphor for God throughout scripture. He's the foundation stone. Christ is the foundation stone. He's well, just, I mean, just briefly. Well, Deuteronomy 32.4, Moses said, He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel 2.2, No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. David said, 2 Samuel 22.2, The Lord is my rock. And my fortress and my deliverer. Isaiah, Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. The Apostle Paul, in speaking about the children of Israel in the wilderness, drinking water supernaturally from the rock, said in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Paul also wrote 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Amen? He's the rock. And if you're built on him, you're going to stand. That's what he said. You know, don't be like the foolish man built his hand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand, right? Be like the wise man. Build your house on the rock. How? Listen to his words. Do what he says. Well, then what does it mean here when he says, you know, I will build my church. By the way, the only one that can really build his church is Jesus. It's his church. Not our church, technically. We can't say, this is my church. No, it really isn't. Only Jesus can actually say that. My church. We can say, this is a church that I belong to. You know, you know, I don't want to be technical about it. But understand, it's his church. He's building it. He's the only one that can build it. And you know, that's what we see happening, is we simply just do what they did in the early church. We give ourselves to prayer, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the teaching of the word. And guess what? God adds to the numbers of the church those who are being saved. It's the Lord that's doing the work of building his church. As we're simply doing those things that he's called us to do. Amen? He's building his church. But what does he mean by the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it? I don't think he's saying that you know, all the power of Satan as Satan attacks the church will prevail, will not prevail. I don't think that's what he's saying. I believe that's true. I don't believe that Satan is capable of prevailing against the church of Jesus Christ with all of his attacks and with all of his cohorts of demons and all in all, all of that. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. Because if you look at this, no 
enemy army ever attacks with gates, okay? It's a pretty poor weapon. (laughs) What are gates anyway? Gates guard the entry of a fortress. But gates also keep prisoners locked in, right? A prison gate keeps people from getting out. And if you understand, Jesus didn't say, the, he didn't say the gates of Satan. He said the gates of Hades. What's Hades? Hades is the realm of the dead. Hades is where you would go after you died. And according to Jesus, at that time, there were two sections. There was what was called the bosom of Abraham, where the righteous people who were trusting in the Messiah to come to bring revelation and redemption and release of the prison (laughs) they were waiting in faith but then on the other side there was a place of torment this is death this is the heart of the earth Hades where people went after they died and if you don't know Jesus Christ, you'll still go to Hades when you die. If you do know Jesus Christ, as Paul said, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? That's the new covenant. Hallelujah. But we know that when Jesus died, he went and preached to those souls that were in Hades, to those who were waiting in faith for the redemption. We know that he set captives free. He emptied out that section of Hades where the righteous were dwelling and waiting. And so, you know, when we talk about the gates of Hades, we're talking about the fact that Satan has ruled through the power he had over death. That's what it says in Hebrews 2.14. The devil had the power of death, but it says that Jesus destroyed him. When he died on the cross. Folks, listen. People are under the bondage and the power of Satan through sin and spiritual death. They're alienated from God because of their sins. They're headed on the fast track to eternal death. And all of that power that Satan has through sin and death was broken at the cross of Jesus Christ. And those gates that that held people tightly. You know, Jesus stormed the gates. He bound the strong man. He's released his possessions. He set the captives free. He's given you freedom like you can never know. The freedom that Jesus Christ gives you over sin and the fear of death is gone. Satan was ruined at the cross. And I believe that's what he's saying here. All of that power of the devil to lie to people, to alienate them from God, that's broken. That shall not prevail over the church of Jesus Christ. Neither should we fear going through the gates of Hades and grabbing people out of the pit. Amen? Those who are in the pit of addictions, those who are in the pit of just their sins and spiritual death, those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. Look, if you have Jesus Christ in you, you have the victor. You have the power over Satan. And we need not be afraid. We need to set people free. Amen? Because wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's no liberty like you'll ever know, like the liberty of Jesus. So, now then Peter, Jesus then said to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What's he talking about? You know, if you have keys to some place, you know, the keys give you the authority, right? You know, I got the key. You can't get in there without me. So Jesus says, Peter, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. 
Now, he said this to Peter. Actually, in the Greek, the you is singular. So he's not talking to the other disciples. He's talking to Peter here. He says, I'm, Peter, I'm giving to you the keys of the kingdom. And what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. What is he talking about? Well, first off, I think that he's talking about the fact that Peter would open the kingdom of heaven to people. And we see that's exactly what happened. On the day of Pentecost, it was Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, who spoke. And those Jews that had crucified Jesus Christ, he says, you killed the Christ. But God raised him from the dead, and they were cut to the heart. And 3,000 of them put their trust in Jesus Christ and were baptized that day. God used Peter to bring the gospel, to open the kingdom of heaven to the Jews. And then he used Peter again to open the kingdom of heaven to the Gentiles when, you know, he sent Peter to the house of Cornelius, a Roman centurion. He preached the gospel before he even got done with his sermon. The Holy Spirit comes down, baptizes them, you know. So here's the Lord using Peter. To open up the gospel to people. I think that's an aspect. But what about the whole thing of binding and loosing? Well, the Jews would understand that, you know, this whole thing of binding and loosing, to be bound was to be restricted to a certain degree. You could be bound to your oath, meaning that you had to perform it. You could be bound to your spouse, Meaning you weren't free to go get another. (laughs) But you could be loose too. You could be loosed of a restriction. So that you had freedom. You know that's sort of what happened to Peter when he, you know, when the Lord said, you know, kill and eat. Gave a sheet, came down from heaven and it was all creepy crawly unclean animals, you know. And and God says kill and eat. Peter, no way. I'm not going to eat anything unclean. I never have. Don't call unclean what I've declared to be clean, Peter. And God was saying, look, it's time for the gospel to go to the unclean Gentiles, you see. God was loosing the scripture, the gospel, salvation to the Gentiles. So he says, okay, so this matter of binding and loosing, he's speaking of authority. He's speaking of the fact that God, the Lord, has authority. He's the head of the church. But there has to be authority in the church. There has to be the power to, to, to bind and to loose, to, to either forbid things that are evil or to allow things that are good and to, the wisdom to make those decisions and to determine those things. And, of course, we have the apostles that have done that for us through the apostles' teaching. But there has to be authority or else there's disorder and chaos. And anything goes, you see. And so, there was this this authority. But it's a very interesting verb here in the Greek because what it really says, a better translation would be, Whatever you bind on earth has been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth has been loosed in heaven. It wasn't like Jesus was saying to Peter, Hey Peter, whatever you think, man, you make up the rules, you do whatever you want, and everybody has to submit to God, Peter. You know, It wasn't like that at all. It was, Peter, you're going to be a representative of what is happening in heaven. And you're going to make sure that the will of heaven is being done in the church. And this, by the way, was not restricted just to Peter. Because later on, and we'll see in Matthew 18, in the context of church discipline, Jesus says the same thing to all of them. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. The idea here is that they would be ambassadors of Jesus representing him in the church to exercise authority and discipline. Got a problem with that? 
It's the way Jesus, if he didn't have that, what would we have? We'd have total chaos. But understand that that authority has been abused. It's been abused by the church over the years. Terrible things have been done in the name of the church. Because they, they put themselves in the position of, of doing what the Pharisees did. Making up their own rules. And holding people to it. They weren't doing what Jesus says here that, you know, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. They weren't representing heaven's will. They were representing their own will. So, understand. The Lord gives authority to Peter, to the apostles. That apostolic authority. I still think he gives authority to the church today. But but we're those who are under authority. See? We're under authority. We're under Christ's authority. He's the head. And anything that we say must be compared to what God has said in Scripture. And you have the right to to watch the fruit. In fact, Jesus commands you to do it. He says, you'll know them by their fruit. If their fruit is bad, then they're bad. Don't listen to what they say. If their fruit is good, if they're telling you things that are in alignment with the Word of God, then listen to what they say. God might be telling you something that you don't want to do, but He's telling you for your own good. As I've shared before, my pastor said it, you know, submission is never submission until you're told to do something you don't want to do. <laughs> there are a lot of things we don't want to do, but, but is it coming from God? Is it in alignment with the Scripture? Is the person that's telling you got the appointment by God? And if so, then you better listen, or at least listen and pray about it. Because you don't want to be rebelling against the authority of God. That's the fear of the Lord. Amen? And we who are in positions, you know, you're in a position of authority if you're a parent. Don't you? You want, you have to exercise this matter of binding and loosing. Okay, that's it. You disobeyed. No more video games for 10 years, you know. (laughs) And then you back up. Okay, 10 days. Okay, one day. (laughs) Yeah. We get into this whole thing of binding and loosing. Or you've been good, okay, so you can go play with your friends now. See, binding and loosing. We do it all the time. And you want your kids to submit to your authority, amen? Of course you do. But are we willing to submit to the authority God places in our life? Namely, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God first. Amen? All right. So, finally, the end, Jesus told his disciples, now don't tell anybody that I am the Christ. It wasn't time yet. There would come the time after his death and resurrection, and now, of course, we're in the thing of just tell everybody. (laughs) But it wasn't time yet. Folks, I love the fact that I get to submit to such a loving, wonderful king who laid his life down for a sinner like me. And I would do anything for my Lord. It's not a burden to do his will. It's a blessing. And when he lays a burden on you, guess what? The burden is the blessing. You know, I know sometimes you look at those kids of yours and you think, what a burden. (laughs) And they are. But they're also the blessing. Right? You know it. Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. We need good authority in our lives. Without it, our rebellious nature wigs out. (laughs) The problem is that there are evil people in the world that grasp authority for their own selfish purposes. There were the Pharisees, there were the Sadducees, there are such people. There are counterparts to them today. 
There are those who add to the word of God. There are those who take away from it. But then there is Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church. He's the loving king who sacrificed himself for us. And that's what we're going to to celebrate today as we partake of communion. We remember that really we serve a king who died for us. But I would just challenge you, if you have not yet received Jesus as your king, if you've not yet confessed him as the Christ, the son of the living God, then what are you waiting for? Why put it off? See, the reality of it is everybody will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord at some point. The the problem is if you don't do it in this life, it will be the confession that leads to damnation versus the confession that leads to salvation. And I'll just make a prediction. The longer you wait to confess Jesus as Savior and Lord and bow the knee to King Jesus, the more you will regret. I don't regret a single day that I have submitted to Jesus Christ. I regret things that I did prior to that, but not a single moment of submitting to my King. Amen? So the door is wide open. The kingdom is available. If God himself is revealing to you that Jesus is the Christ, then all you have to do is say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I want to turn from my sins and make you King Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. And he'll come in and and wreck your sinful world. (laughs) And give you abundant life. And transform your relationships to be awesome. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence and we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who testifies of the reality of Jesus Christ, King, Savior, Lord of all, head of the church, the one who desires to manifest himself in reality to each of us. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that has not yet bowed the knee, as it were, and confessed Jesus as Savior and as Lord, that they would say, here I am, Lord. Forgive me. Come into my life. Make me whole. Forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen.